1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from RNZ Sport. I'm Denise Garland. In the programme this week, Rugby Sevens coaching maestro Sir Gordon Titchens looks back on his 22 years in charge of the national side. Late Jonah Lomu looms large in the Wellington County's Monaco rugby match. The Silver Ferns prepare for the Sunshine Girls while the Black Caps prepare for an Indian summer. Paralympic athlete Holly Robinson talks about her Rio hopes And we look at e-gaming and its explosion as a sport, and the threat from match-fixing and illegal sports betting. 22 years in charge of the New Zealand Rugby Sevens side, Sir Gordon Titchens has called it quits. Titchens conceded his biggest disappointment is missing out on a medal at the Rio Olympics, when rugby returned to the Games for the first time in more than a 100 years. There was plenty of success for Titchens though, including four Commonwealth Games gold medals, 12 World Rugby Sevens Series titles and two Rugby World Cup Sevens titles. He reflected on his career with rugby reporter Joe Porter.
2: Oh, six months ago I'd, I'd been thinking about it and I think it was such a tough, grueling year. And uh, six months of real expectation and, and the pressures and the short turnarounds. I think, it, uh, I think I'd done my time by the time the, you know, the Olympics was over. And uh, win or lose, I think I was going to make that same decision.
3: Nothing quite compares to the pressure that an Olympic Games brings. That must have been an experience.
2: Yeah, there's always pressure when you're coaching any any all-black team, whether it be in 15s or 7s, and uh, as I said, with that expectation. And, 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 and of course, um, I had to make that decision, so I, I made it. But, um, again, I've been faced with those pressures for 22 years now, and um, finally it got to me in this year, I think, and... Uh, after uh, I spent the last 12 months in particular where it's been really, really pressure, all about pressure.
3: And having tasted so much success, Commonwealth Games, gold medals, World Championship titles, World Series titles. What was it like—the bittersweet taste of defeat—for not the first time, but at, on the biggest stage? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was tough to take. It was. Uh, yeah, obviously
2: losing a quarterfinal to Fiji, and that was probably our best game, I suppose, the Olympics. You know, we gave them their, their toughest game, and and once you'd been beaten, and there wasn't a chance for a medal, it was disappointing, and uh, and probably one of the uh, obviously the. Probably, if I look at my career, it's probably one of the, the downsides of of that 22-year career that I've had, and uh, because the expectation and, and going there with really, really a goal set to win a medal, yeah, it wasn't to be. yet yeah, really disappointing. But, um, but what I can also say is we gave it everything. You know, I, I asked the players to give it their 200%. They gave it that, and uh, my management team. But we just weren't good enough.
3: And the moment you realised that the Rio dream was over, what, what did that feel like? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a,
2: it's a difficult feeling. It's uh, because of the expectation. It was, it was quite tough. You know, it's. Um, mate, I was hurting. Uh, I make no secret about that. I was really hurting, and uh, hurting for, for everyone really, even for the country. But, but I then I can reflect back now and think, well, I, I gave it my all. I gave it my best shot, and uh, and in that particular tournament, it wasn't good enough.
3: 22 years and to have achieved so much else, to dwell on one result would, would not be very fair. So I guess it doesn't take too much to, to get some perspective on your career.
2: I think, I think in perspective and in putting it in reality, there are a lot of athletes that went to Rio, whether they be teams, rowing teams, athletic teams, individual athletes. Uh, you can look at tennis players, Novak Djokovic. You know, the pressures at the Olympics are huge, and a lot of players, a lot of athletes, Came out of that tournament, and the expectations weren't met, and it was no different in our game as well. And uh, and I think that's what you've got to accept when you go to the Olympics, you're on the world stage. It's a one-off tournament; will either work for it or it won't work for you. And some some athletes come out of there, you know, and they've uh, they've actually chased gold and got gold. There are a lot of athletes that have chased gold and haven't got gold, so. Uh, That's the big part of it.
3: With the squad being, I guess, selected quite close to the Games and the competitive nature of people fighting for spots, in hindsight, do you think it may have been better to perhaps select an Olympic team at the start of the World Series and perhaps go through with the players knowing they were going to be there bar injury and not having that extra... Pressure of fighting for a spot?
2: I've always said to be good at this game, you've got to be playing it and training it. I mean, um, and the theory obviously was to have your team together for the entire World Series, but it wasn't to be because also a lot of those players had commitments around super rugby and it was always going to be that. Then there was also an all black um, series against the Welsh. In which some of the players were actually involved in that. So that's what it made it really difficult. We do have a congested rugby programme, and now those were the challenges that you'll always have, as, a, as any All Black Sevens team will face, even over the years, going to games and to the next Olympics
3: you think out of this review perhaps for Tokyo 2020 it might be decided that people need to choose whether or not they're going to focus on sevens a couple of years out and you can choose from that pool of players for for the Tokyo games?
2: I think there'll be some huge changes in sevens certainly over over the years, particularly if they centralise. And if they do centralise and the players are are playing it and training it continually, perhaps they may be the best players to then take. Because if you look at all the other teams on on a big spectrum I suppose, uh, there weren't many other players that played outside the World Series, that played in sides that were involved in the, in the Olympics.
3: How hard is it going to be
2: to find a New Zealand replacement for you? Oh, I'm sure there will be a lot of interest out there to, yeah. to come and try and put their hand up to coach the All Black Sevens team, I'm sure. And another coach will come in, he may do it differently, may set the bar differently around selection of players, etc. But uh, again, he'll have my full support.
3: You wouldn't expect to see a red-haired Englishman apply for the job, would
2: you? <laughs> hey, now, well, he used to coach England. You know, he coached England for a while, and then uh, then he's moved on to Fiji, and he's left Fiji. So, who knows? Yeah,
3: and what about yourself? What's the plan for just the immediate future? Now you've had time to to announce the decision officially. You spend a little bit of time with family, relaxing.
2: Yeah, a bit of time with family. I'll play in a few masters tennis tournaments, which I, I really enjoy, and uh, and of course um, just relax. And I think that's uh, I think after a, such a hectic year, I think I deserve that.
3: And your reputation as a, as a rigorous trainer must have kept you in pretty good shape for these tennis tournaments.
2: Yeah, I do. I have to keep fit. It's a, it's a big part of it. I mean, it's, it's part of your well-being now, as a, certainly as a coach. You've got to get out there and uh, you've got to find time to do your own exercise, etc. And, uh, and it's no different for, uh, for us in the coaching field is what the players uh, have to commit to as well.
3: And do you see the future as being professional 7s players as separate from professional 15s players? They choose one or two in their career at some point?
2: Well, I think some players, uh, particularly young, may, may choose that pathway. But I'm sure that every youngster out there, uh, regardless of how good they are, if they believe they have the skill sets and no doubt they'll get tutorage on the way through, that uh, they'll aspire to be a you know, 15s all Black but they may use that vehicle of sevens to, to provide that pathway.
3: Somewhat of a unique challenge, I guess, New Zealand faces in that sense, whereas players in Fiji want to play sevens in New Zealand, they may always yeah. aspire to that 15s or yeah. blacks level.
2: I think in, in, in Fiji what you have is that they're... Their uh, national game is Sevens Rugby. Yeah. They've got thousands of players, more depth than any other country in the world. Here, Sevens has always been that pathway and that vehicle for younger players to, to play Sevens and then to go on to, to be super rugby players. But, but the game is changing all the time now, and sometimes that may not be obviously the vehicle for, for certain players, but for some it may also provide benefits uh, to promote that player later on.
1: That was Sir Gordon Titchens speaking with Joe Porter the late all-black great jonah lomu loomed large in the minds of his opponents and his memory will loom large in friday night's provincial match between wellington and counties manukau and pukekoe the two sides will play for the jonah lomu memorial trophy in memory of lomu who died in november last year at the age of forty Lomu was a proud Counties Manukau and Wellington player, playing 28 games for Counties between 1994 and 1999 and 21 games for Wellington between 2000 and 2003. Sports editor Stephen Hewson reports.
2: Trying to get it away for Lomu. Fuddy a done his best. Umanga misses again. Lomu
0: on his, on his own. Lomu still going. Lomu. Oh, amazing.
4: The metre high number 11 Totara trophy has both Māori and Tongan designs carved into it and will go on the line every time Counties Manukau and Wellington play one another. However, Lomu's former provincial teammate and now Counties Manukau assistant coach, Grant Henson, believes that carver Tony Makiha, who made the trophy and was a childhood friend of Lomu, had a cunning plan to ensure the trophy never leaves Puka It's
5: quite poor, it's thick, it's glimming heavy, It'd probably take two guys to lift it. So maybe we, the, the guys who, who designed it, had that in mind, so you might have to stay in counties anyway, even if Wellington win it. I'm not sure, but it might be too much of a mission to get it back down there.
4: For counties Manuco flanker Jordan Tofu, growing up supporting the Steelers meant there was only one player every youngster wanted to be, right down to the haircut. My old man, probably loved them more than me because... I. Uh... Well, oh, of my brothers, he gave us the Jonah haircut. You know, the the the, buff, the shave your head but left uh, the front. So he gave us those haircuts uh, growing up uh, and we had to go to school uh, looking like that. Any thoughts of the team getting those haircuts for Friday night? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, probably not. Uh, some of the players are thinking of uh, you know, maybe getting the, the number 11 shaved into their eyebrows. Um, but
0: uh, I think most of the boys are just going to be going out there and giving it their
4: all. Of course, it wasn't just Pukakohi youngsters that Lomu inspired. The Wellington captain, Brad Shields says while the traditional trophies provinces contest always add to the atmosphere of a match, this one will be extra special as Lomu was a huge influence on the current generation of players when they were
0: growing up. First proper memory was at the stadium and I think someone came over from the radio and said, oh, who's your favourite player? And he pointed to me and I said, Jonah Lomu. Um, I think partly because every time I got the ball I, th- I thought it was Jonah, but he's obviously a bit of a role model for some people and just the way he played um, there's a lot of guys modelling their game off him and, and will do for many years to come.
4: The impact of Lomu was also remembered by Sir Gordon Titchens earlier this week when he announced that he was stepping down as coach of the National seven side after 22 years in charge. Titchens was asked who was the most influential player he coached.
2: General Lomu, no question there. He was just uh, obviously basically single-handedly won us uh, our first World Cup in, in South America. Was quite incredible really for someone that was so big, so quick, so strong and probably never as fit as I, I wanted as a, as a coach but he gave me everything else so uh, you, you put that aside.
4: The county's Manico Steelers will be wearing special edition jerseys for tonight's match style on the ones worn by Lomu and his teammates in the 1990s.
1: Sports editor Stephen Hewson ending that report. And you're listening to Extra Time. The Silver Ferns get the chance to put their loss to Australia in the inaugural Quad Nations series behind them when they begin a three-test series against Jamaica and Nelson on Sunday. Ferns coach Janine Southby has named an unchanged team from that lineup, which includes two players who are still yet to make their debuts, shooter Maya Wilson and defender Storm Purvis. Jamaica are known for their flair and unpredictability and without their two star shooters, Romelda Aitken and Janelle Fowler-Reed, there's even more uncertainty over what to expect from the side. Southby says it's a style of play she wants every member of the squad to experience during the series.
6: Look we know that Jamaica bring a different style, they're quite can be quite unorthodox on attack and defensively we know that they bring a lot of physicality so for us it's about keeping to our structures that we've been working on over the last 10 or 12 days with the quad series and being better at executing them particularly under pressure.
1: Now they're also without their two star shooters, Romelda Aitken and Janelle Fowler-Reed, does that add to the unpredictability for you guys? It does a bit because you know when you have such a tall shooter in the background that's a target you know we're ultimately that you in- i are wanting
6: to go to. With the smaller sh- shooting circle, they'll obviously be a lot more mobile, and that presents different challenges for the defenders. So, you know, we're just a little bit unsure about what that's going to look like because we haven't seen some of these players before. Uh, but, you know, we know what their defenders are going to bring because we've seen them on court against us last year, and we also know typically what the style is likely to look like. For some of our girls, it's new because they haven't played against Jamaica before, and so for them, it's, it's going to be a big learning curve.
1: Obviously the Ferns played very well over the Quad Series and even though that um, last match against Australia wasn't a win, the team was right in it up into those last couple of minutes. Does that give the team a lot of confidence heading into this match despite the combinations still trying to gel within the group?
6: Yeah, look, it does. I think there was a lot of really good things in the Quad Series and the the pleasing thing for us is that we, we thought we improved our performance with each outing and and we've got data and and analysis work to show that. Uh, We're still not doing it for a full 60 minutes and that's a huge work on for this series. It's actually being able to put out a quality performance and sticking to the plan and being able to make the adjustments on court under pressure when it really happens, which unfortunately we fell away in that last couple of minutes against Australia.
1: In that, that match against Australia as well, there was a little bit of difficulty getting that ball from sort of the centre third through to the goal third for the shooters. Is that something that you might play around with, especially on Sunday night, with some of those combinations in the midcourt?
6: Look, yeah, it's certainly something we've already talked about in training this morning is that, you know, just our connections and what happens when we get stuck in the situation we did a couple of times on Sunday. So we've certainly gone through some scenarios of how we can get ourselves out of that situation. And for some of it too, it could be different combinations that we look at as well.
1: Talking of combinations, and you mentioned you you, you know what to expect from this Jamaican defensive side. Will you stick with with Mez and Ekinacio in that circle? Um, They gelled really well in the rest of the quad series and in that first half against Australia Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, look, we're just still looking at that. And and Yvette and I have had a number of discussions about how we look
6: at starting and what opportunities we have to expose some of the newer squad members to international netball and also to the Jamaican style because at this point in time, i are probably not going to meet Jamaica again before the Commonwealth Games. So it is important that all of the players have some idea of what they're likely to come up against. So there's a balance in, in making sure that when we do put new players out there who have been out there before, that they've got strong support around them and people who understand what that's like out there.
1: I guess, sort of reading between the lines, you're hoping to get everyone out on the court and exposed to this Jamaican side this series?
6: Yeah, I'd like to think that we get the opportunity to do that. And, you know, I think they're all pushing each other at trainings, they're all working hard. So it's just making sure that they're feeling really confident and clear about what their roles are when they're out there
1: and I guess with the defenders having new shooters or a new shooting combination to try and test themselves against without the two star shooters for Jamaica, is that going to be something that you will try to uh, work new combinations with? Um, Obviously Grant will be, I think, the only one who's actually been exposed to the Jamaican style.
6: Yeah, some of the uh, younger girls have actually played against
1: Jamaican style
6: at World Youth Cup level, so they're sort of aware of it, it was a few years ago. Um, Look, I think the big thing is is that we want to be a team of 12 players that anyone can take the court and add value and that's certainly something we're working on. How you do that in netball without you know disrupting the flow and, and connections is really important and, and so in our trainings we've got to make sure that we keep practising these and practising the potential changes so that people are ready to come off the bench and, and like I say, add value to the performance.
1: That was Silver Ferns coach Janine Southby. A year after last playing test cricket all-rounder jimmy neesham is back in the new zealand side the twenty five year old has been named in the black cap squad for the upcoming tour of india having last played in australia last year though he was forced to return home from that tour with a back injury the 15-man squad has three changes from the side which recently toured Africa, with Matt Henry and Jeet Raval dropped. Black Blackcap selector Gavin Larson told Sports Editor Stephen Hewson, "Nisham's back to full fitness.
5: Really thrilled to have uh, Jimmy Nisham back in the squad. He, you know, always great to have a, a genuine sort of pace bowling all-rounder, a guy that can you know bat in the middle order, contribute runs, and also, you know, potentially play as a third or fourth seamer. So." Yeah, great, great to have him back.
4: And what he's come through uh back wise, injury wise. I mean he's had some, some time in England.
5: Yeah, he did. Yeah, no, he's had a challenging um a challenging last sort of nine to twelve months, but he you know, he, he went through his rehab programme well, did everything that was asked of him, you know, had a good stint in county cricket and you know, came back in the reports out of Lincoln, uh, where he was training with our high performance crew. A couple of weeks ago was um, was very positive, and they said he was um, back and bowling extremely well. So that was really encouraging, and that um, ultimately got him across the line in terms of selection.
4: It's that all round, that well complete all rounder package, as, as opposed to, to Matt Henry.
5: Yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, from a, a quick bowling perspective, we, we took five to South Africa and Zim due to the conditions we were going to encounter over there. Um, the conditions will be very, very different in India, we believe. So we have dropped one of the bowlers, Matt's the unlucky one, and we've uh, pared that back to just the four quicks.
4: How much discussion was there around the, the top-order batting, and I suppose more in particular the opening combination of uh, Martin Guptill and Latham?
5: Look, one thing we wanted to do right from the start was to take our most experienced um, test squad over that, that you know have been playing in subcontinent conditions, Indian conditions and in particular. I mean, this is going to be a very, very tough tour, very challenging. It's a unique tour and a very, I guess, a very foreign one compared to what the players, you know, play in here in New Zealand. Um, so we wanted guys that, you know, have played in India as, as much as possible. And, and Martin Gupto, um certainly fitted into that category. Now, you know, we, we also, you know, freely acknowledge that he's, he's down in terms of run production. Um, as an opener, so he's got a very important Test series um, in, in front of him, and we're also, you know, equally very confident that um, you know if he can bring his sort of, I guess, white ball game um, across into into Test match cricket, into that environment, and play with freedom and really express himself, that um, you know this could be a successful tour for him.
4: Is that what you're looking for him to, to replicate that one day form, or or you asking him to change his game somewhat?
5: No, no, we haven't asked him to change his game at all. In fact, it's brief. Uh, you know, in about the last three or so series has been to, you know, go out and express yourself. You know, he's one of the the world's best, you know, greatest probably ever. You know, white ball exponents, and um, you know the way he plays at the the top of the order with freedom, and the way he can clear the boundary is just tremendous. You know, we're not saying you know we're wanting him to to be reckless in Test match cricket, but you know we've seen what the say wags and the and the. Um, Warners of this world can do at the top of the order. They converted themselves um, into test match cricket very, very well, and we certainly believe that um, Marty Guptal can still do that.
4: The, the prospect in India, too, presumably being a bit more front foot tracks that may well suit him a bit better than the end, the, given what he came up against the likes of Steyn and Philander in South Africa.
5: Yeah, well, all things being equal, um, you know, if the Indians roll out, you know, what we've seen in the last couple of years um, in terms of test match pitches. You know we're going to see pitches that turn turn and, and maybe turn a bit more um, and from ball one um, so our openers may well be face, facing Ashwin um, you know right at the start, so you know it 's a very very different sort of challenge, and you did right um, the pitches probably will be slower than um, than what we encountered in uh, Centurion in particular, and um, you know Muddy is a front foot player we we sort of recognize that, so it sort of should. It should hopefully all add up to some, some runs from his bat.
1: Black Caps selector Gavin Larson speaking with Stephen Hewson. New Zealand's flag bearer for the 2016 Rio Paralympics, Holly Robinson, says she never expected to be given the honour. The 21-year-old javelin thrower from Hokiteka led the New Zealand team into the Maracanã Stadium in Rio. She finished seventh at the London Paralympics in 2012, is currently ranked number one in her event, and is a strong gold medal prospect. Robinson told Matt Chatterton, the London Games four years ago put her in good stead for Rio.
7: Yeah, London was my first Paralympics, and I was very young at the time. You know, it was pretty much about a learning experience for me back then being so young. Um, and Rio coming into Rio, you know. It's definitely about the results. Um, so just like, just like London, I'm super excited. I can't wait to start a conversation. I can't wait to compete for my event on the 13th and I'm still a week away. Uh, but it's definitely the like excitement building and just being in the village and seeing all the other countries is so cool. It's been four years since London. Um, it doesn't seem that long but, you know, I'm, I'm as excited as I was the first day I walked into the village four years ago. And, you know, I know I'm in a better position now. I'm going further. um, And I'm in the best form that I've probably ever been in. So, yeah, I'm really excited. And I can't wait for competition to start.
8: Going from, obviously, competing in London, where you finished seventh, to being the flag bearer this time uh, for New Zealand must be um, an incredible honour. Did you ever think that this was going to happen in the lead-up to the Games?
7: No, I didn't. Someone actually was saying to me, you know, who do you think the flag bearer will be? And I was like, I don't really know, you know, and someone said, oh, do you think, did will be just leave there? And I was like, no, 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 definitely not, definitely not. But, you know, my coach came, when I found out, my coach came into our room, we were in San Diego, and she said, oh, I need to talk to him. I thought, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble, what's going on here? And she put me into the room, and she said, i just been asked if you'd see the flag there for New Zealand, and I was like, oh, my gosh, and, you know, a flood of emotions, and that sort of thing. And I was like of course I'd be it's an amazing honour. Um, something that I didn't expect but, you know, I'm so proud to to um, say that I will be, you know, raising the flag from New Zealand tomorrow at the, the opening.
8: So yeah. Now I also understand it's a little uh, special in the fact that the ponamu that you received today is actually from um, your hometown or near the, your hometown in our Hokka ticket.
7: Yes, yeah, so I'm from other so that's about along the West Coast, which is so cool. Um, the green thing is, is really special. It's, it's special to the Māori culture and the Māori people in New Zealand and for them to especially carve these amazing, gorgeous Kainanus for us and also the Olympic team is really cool and it's a little bit more special that it is you know, from my, my home area as well and drink presented with that today was pretty cool too. So yeah, they're, they're really cool and they're gorgeous.
8: Yeah, taking a piece of the West Coast with you to Rio must be a nice nice feeling. Um, I'll touch quickly on obviously your event as well. You're going in as world number one into the javelin. Uh what are your expectations I guess out of out of this uh, games?
7: I'm just looking, you know, to go further than I ever had before. I think anybody yeah, athletes want to be the best they can be and that's like, Oh, I want to go out there and, and do the best that I can do and you know, I want to go further, I want to get better. So my goals are really just focused on me and you know what I need to do to to be the best I can be. You know, I want to I want to do my personal best. I want to throw further than I've ever done before. You know, and that will put me in a good stead for medals. Um, but the main focus is definitely just on the process and how to get those distances. I think it's important as an athlete not to focus on, you know, I want this gold medal, I want this or that. You need to focus on, okay, Technically, I need to do this to get, get the result. And, you know, the result will come from work on those technical things that you need to nail. So, yeah, I just want to throw, you know, the best that I can throw and, you know, throw further. That's my main goal, heading into, into Rio. Um, and hopefully that'll come away from the middle as well. And definitely if I do throw where I want to throw, um, it will be in the middle contention.
8: Going into the Games, uh, how has your form been? Do you feel like it's on the, on the verge of reaching a new personal best?
7: Yeah, I definitely think so. We've had some really good preparation coming into Rio. So we spent a good amount of time in the Gold Coast. So we were in the Gold Coast for 12 days. And then we went through to San Diego for another 10. So we've been away for a wee while and we had a few competitions on the way. And they went really well, um, definitely up near my personal best, so where I wanted to be, and consistently getting up there, which I'm really happy with. So in terms of the form and how I'm coming together, we're exactly where you know we should be and we want to be. But sport or anything can happen on the day, you know, and my event will be very close and in distances, so it will be who pulls it out on the day. But I'm happy with where it's at, and I definitely know I'm capable of throwing really well.
1: Paralympic athlete Holly Robinson talking to Matt Chatterton. The explosion of the sport of e-gaming, which has hit a billion dollars in revenues, is fueling an equally explosive threat from match-fixing and illegal sports betting. Now e-sport has appointed its first anti-corruption commissioner, who honed his skills combating match-fixing in international cricket. Phil Pennington compiled this report.
3: And now, three frags for Flamey
8: in the round, three for Lucas, and only five seconds left. It's a game of survival. Flamey's on the hunt. Lucas just needs to stay alive, and he's done it! Tempo Storm take the round after such a hard grab from Navi.
0: Truly beautiful Counter-Strike. YouTube commentary there from one of the big money prize tournaments and one of the big four games, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. 16-year-old Kieran Fegan of Petoni dreams of being good enough to take a seat at that.
8: Like, just start entering amateur tournaments and seeing if we can start winning amateur tournaments around the Oceania region. And then once we start to win those ones, we'd go into, like, Americas and stuff.
0: For now, it's mostly him and his mates up against others playing by remote. So, can he make it? Me and this other
8: guy, are probably the best. I think we both could if we like went hard enough.
0: Going hard means players are pushing the boundaries. Here's how a fan site announced the biggest esports match fixing scandal so far that's been unfolding in recent months in South Korea.
4: One of the two pro gamers arrested as part of this investigation is 19 year old Life, one of Starcraft 2's top 50 players.
1: Life aka Lee Seung-hyun allegedly accepted a total of 70 million won for throwing two matches in a StarCraft II tournament that amounts to about 60,000 buckaroos U.S.
0: The two South Korean gamers are in custody, which shows a new and tougher approach. Enter Ian Smith as esports' first anti-graft Tsar, who's taking aim at doping and especially match-fixing. At
9: the top end of esport, the prize money is exceptionally good. If you look at an event like the International, which took place a week before last in Seattle, the prize money was over $20 million. Now that contrasts to the bottom semi-pro and bottom pro level, where prize money can often be $500. It doesn't cost very much to bribe a guy in that position.
0: Smith's anti-match-fixing work with the International Cricket Council and with the UK Anti-Doping Athlete Committee won him the new job at the Esport sport Integrity Coalition. He does, however, also consider himself among the best in the world playing Gran Turismo or GT5. He tells RNZ News from Bristol he's now in a race against time as criminals are drawn into a prize pot that's swollen to $120 million, spread across the top four games, including StarCraft and Counter-Strike.
9: Esport outside of Korea does not yet have the attention of organised crime simply because the betting markets have been too low to sustain their interest. Those betting markets are growing at an incredible rate, which means organised crime will become interested. So my job is to ensure that the barriers are in place, that esport becomes a hard target as opposed to what it currently is, which is a a very, very soft target.
0: The scope for fair and square rewards is growing too. In the US, some colleges are now offering athletic scholarships in esports. In Petoni, meanwhile, Kieran Fegan, when he's not on the football pitch, is at his laptop.
8: If I did go pro, I'd, like, if I was in the lower tiers, I'd still probably try and get, like, another job to earn money. Or I could, like, go into streaming, which is where you, like, play your game and stream it for other people, and then they can, like, donate to you if they think you're good.
0: And all he has to guard against for now is the small-time cheating of hacks, unpausing, stream-peaking and glitches.
1: That was Phil Pennington reporting. And that's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Denise Garland. Bye for now.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?